that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and we are back in Systematic Theology 3 and on the topic of elder qualifications. This is part two part of two. three. So um, we want to just jump right into uh, this issue of the qualifications. We've it, we so far established that the elder, overseer, bishop, and the pastor are really all used interchangeably and that there's no biblical sense of a hierarchy within them. So we talked about that. We then began to talk about the qualifications uh, as it's very important uh, for the well-being of the local church. Um, There are few things more beautiful in our opinion than a church overseen by very godly and qualified elders. But we'd also be quick to say that there are few things more sad and terrible than a church with ungodly and unqualified elders. And I think we see a lot of that today. Um, So what we want to do is we see all of these instances of leadership gone bad in our nation right now. We shake our head uh, as we see it. But the way to resolve the leadership crisis is not to toss the biblical data overboard, um, but to repent. And that's what I think a lot of churches need to do. Uh, The Bible gives very simple, clear uh, pointers and and a clear process on how to deal with an elder who is sinning. All the church really needs to do is practice it. And along the way, there needs to be a demand by the church for biblically qualified elders and leaders within the church. And if a local church can't seem to do this, then we would simply counsel the person in that kind of a church that it's time to go find a sound church and get away from that one, because in the long run, harm will be done to you. Right. Uh, so last episode, we dealt with the personal qualifications of a prospective elder. Remember that these must be present in the life of a man before he becomes an elder. Now, not to perfection. I mean, everyone's on a point of growth, but but they need to be present, consistent. Just because he's a good guy, in other words, or he's finished seminary, or he's a gifted leader or speaker, none of that means that he's actually qualified for that position. And just because he's qualified does not mean that he's the right man for the task. So we, we would add to that, and I think we talked about this a bit, that does he fully understand and buy into the theology of the church? Um, you might have a qualified el- elder-wise, but if he's Lutheran in his theology, right. well, that, that could be a good fit in a Baptist church and vice versa. So is he sharing the goals and the direction of that church? Um, things like these we think are also important to consider before you bring a man into the position of an elder. So what we're going to do today is work out the spiritual qualifications that the New Testament gives us for that prospective elder. Okay, so the first one is that he must be a mature believer. This comes from 1 Timothy 3.6 and then also Titus 1.9. Here's the 1 Timothy 3.6. It says that he is not to be a new convert. Um, why? So that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. Now, this word here for convert, that refers to just one who is new in the faith. Um, 
it, it's one who, in other words, has not yet been tested um, in the fires of God's trials. Uh, this is, we would say, a real problem within churches today. Uh, we, we emphasize far too much on the emotional side of our faith, um, you know, what we experience, what we feel, those subjective things. And as a result, we tend to detract from any type of dogmatic teaching where there's only one correct view on a certain passage or certain doctrine. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that ends up meaning that we don't pursue the understanding of the deeper things of the Word of God. Um, the result of that is that churches are full of young believers, you know, even though they've been saved for, for quite some time, they're just immature. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is a terrible thing for an elder. The church can't rise above its leadership. We say that often. And if they're there, young, young in their faith, um, <coughs> the result, you all right over there? I forgot to swallow and, and not breathe at the same time. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm in full agreement with you. <laughs> I just uh, forgot that little thing of not breathing. <laughs> I, I was, uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we know this, that a, a church will never rise above its leadership. And so if you don't have a mature leadership, then that's just bad things for the church. It's Do you just think, going to though, suffer. people believe that as a whole in the church? Uh, I mean, I, really I, I believe think it. Maybe they all assent to that yeah. intellectually. But, but, but do you think they're convinced of that? I have to say no, based on what I see in many, many churches, um, especially where some are content to just stay there for a long time. And the amount of people that I'll even interact with who have a lot of complaint, and I would say righteous complaint, about the leadership and pastors at their churches, and yet they'll remain there. Yeah. And what they don't understand is that how much that is going to affect them and their ability to grow and those kinds of things. Yeah, um, I, I agree. So in, in this particular passage here, Paul also says that if, if you elevate a man too soon and he is too young in the faith, again, we're not talking there about age, we're talking about maturity level in the faith, then you create a stumbling block in his life as well. And the reason is because you're, you're dealing now with the issue of pride, and pride becomes a very real temptation. And so this qualification is to protect uh, the church and that man. Yeah, so it's a double protection. You literally set the guy up to fail right. by getting him in there too soon. And I think we see that, again, with uh, guys like Mark Driscoll. He had this meteoric rise, and because he was doing all these really cool-looking things and getting bigger and bigger, um, they forgot <laughs> yeah. that you also need to be mature in the faith, and and the pride became a huge, huge issue in his whole work. Yeah, and then who you surround yourself with, too. Um, or not surround yourself. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, as, as your church is growing, you, you need certain skills, you need certain kinds of people around you to help with that, and the temptation is to just look at the talent or the skill that the person possesses um, because it's pragmatically useful or helpful right now. Yeah. But... In the long term, it's not because you failed to let the character be the defining qualifier. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, another one would be for uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, also holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now, the Titus passage here does not describe the elder in the same way uh, as we saw in that Timothy passage. Right. Probably due to the fact of the newness of this church, 
Um, everyone would have been a relatively young believer at this point. Um, but the elder still must be well grounded in the Bible and its doctrine. Um, and that is a very helpful thing in church planting situations where there might not be an older or seasoned believer. Um, you know, when, when he says they're holding fast the faithful word, mm-hmm. that's not in reference to the gospel. Right. It's in reference to, to doctrine and right, right understanding of the faith. And he grasps it and he holds on to it. Yeah. Um, notice here also that there are two purpose statements indicated by the word that. Um, for this person to be holding fast to the word. The first is to exhort or encourage. Um, this, however, can only be done by sound doctrine again. Uh, the elder must be able to properly and effectively encourage a person in accordance to God's word. So inexperience with the word can result in more damage than help. Um, either you apply passages to a person wrongly, giving them false hope, or you beat them over the head with the word rather than helping them. Um, and then the second is now they're also able to refute or rebuke or expose. Uh, notice that the person um, he does this to is the person who's trying to contradict him. Right. So there's challenges happening there. Well, and that, and, and you, you see that in your church. Uh, I see it. Um, you're always having people come in who thinks that they know better and they're here to help you. Right. <laughs> and the way they're going to help you is by going behind you and telling everyone that, well, uh, he's not quite right, uh, and and there's these efforts to contradict what's being taught by the church. And so, one, the pr- assumption is the church leadership is teaching well. Um, that's why they have to hold fast. But on the other side is that it's so that you can defend and protect the church from all of these people who will always come into the church with that helpful contradiction, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, more often than not, it's a, that subtle undermining more than it is just that overt yep. contradiction. Um, and this contradiction here that he's talking about, it's based upon a wrong understanding of the word uh, and has therefore led people into a practical error. And so the elders to be strong enough in the word that he is able to detect error. Um, and if he can't detect it, then... At that point, he has no business shepherding God's people. Uh, And so that is key. Uh, It's a key point to note for, uh, although Paul did not require that the church in Crete have no elders who were young believers, um, by doing this, he is giving a standard that he's eliminating all but those who were the best. Yeah. All right. So the next thing, uh, spiritual-wise, is he must have a good testimony from those outside the church. And so 1 Timothy 3.7 that he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, again, another purpose statement, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So this talks more about the missional life of the elder, that he is interacting with the world. Um, And when he does interact with those who are outside the church, um, it's a positive one. It's a gospel-centered way. He's not living a double-faced life, basically. So the standard is best met as a man allows God's Word to affect him in all parts of his life. So we could point you to the whole of the New Testament for examples of this, but we'll just share several passages that speak directly to the idea of one's reputation. So James 1, 26 and 27, he, he tells the 
people there. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, he, uh, Paul says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. I tell you, a whole lot of people need to listen to that one and think about that. Um, Colossians 4, 5, and 6, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Uh, one final one, in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 16, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, meaning unbelievers, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So they're able to actually watch your lifestyle. Um, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. So an elder cannot be one who leads this double life. Yeah. Another one coming from Titus 1.8 is that he must be a righteous and holy person. Uh, it says there uh, he is to be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, and then self-controlled. Now, the two terms here of just and devout are two terms on different sides of the same coin called sanctification. Right. Uh, so the idea is that this man is one who does no wrong to his neighbor. Uh, he is a holy or a pious man who keeps himself free um, from that which pollutes or stains his life before God. Uh, piety is a word that we don't use much today, um, but it's a good term. Um, if it's properly understood. Uh, so here's a definition given in a book on uh, Christian classical education. Uh, it's one titled The Liberal Arts Tradition, a uh, philosophy of Christian classical education. It says, piety signifies the duty, love, and respect owed to God, to parents, and communal authorities past and present. The point is simply that piety is doing your duty with regard to God, um, your parents, your country, so on and so forth. It's the opposite, in other words, of questioning yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, rather, it's a life that is well arranged under the gaze of God and those points of authority and structures that model and express His will on earth. So elders ought to be men who love justice and mercy. Uh, they, they think deeply on the things of life so that they can now give wise counsel to younger people and those younger in the faith. They should not be having struggles with addictions and sin, um, where they don't seem to be able to beat those things. Um, in short, 
they're just in devout men. And you can see a huge need for that today as we're watching our nation descend into absolute chaos and um, crass sin. Um, how, how do you navigate those waters? How, how do you counsel somebody who's in a corporation and they're going through the required racial injustice training? And how do you deal with, like the Chauvin uh, verdict or the Black Lives Matter or the protests or the riots or whatever you're going to look at? Uh, people need somebody that can help them think through those things. And what they don't need is an elder who's then ranting on Facebook and, and putting up all these whiny, complaining posts, but they literally offer no sound, godly counsel. And they certainly are not modeling it where the people in their church can see. A, a, a good elder, a faithful elder, is one who his life is so devout, just, it's, it's one filled with that piety you just described that... Um, there's help being given to the, the, the church that they, they can look at the elders and say, oh, that's what we ought to be doing, um, rather than, well, we're not getting any help from the pulpit, so yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll just do what we think is right, which oftentimes isn't helpful. Yeah. So uh, we're just going to end it here today um, because the next section on qualifications is dealing with issues of family. And there are some challenges in that section that we want you to be alert to and ready to engage your minds with. Um, and so we'll move on to that next time. And the ones that we listed here are probably enough just to consider for now. So uh, let us close here with just some quick suggestions. First of all, we would say use these qualifications as a basis of prayer for yourself, uh, for your husband, for the leaders in your church. Um, you know that this is God's will, so you can pray these things in confidence. Second, we'd say be kind to your leaders. Um, if, if you're listening to us and thinking about uh, that your leaders may not measure up to this, um, before you decide that they don't, uh, you know, you'd be wise to get to know them and to talk with them. See them up close before you are quick to jump to conclusions. Third, Remember that these are not only for elders, but for any Christian man or woman. Uh, so use these episodes, we would say, as a basis for your marching orders as a Christian person. <laughs> uh, so we'll pick up on this in the next episode, uh, Lord willing. Uh, but until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on elder and overseer and bishop. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend.